Welcome to Innovo Radio, your place to gather insight and wisdom for creating healthy organizations. Discover how to uncover defects in your organization and find ways to be a powerful force of change for your organization. Here's your host, David Phillips. Hey, welcome to this episode of Innova Radio. This is David Phillips, and today I am also doing a video broadcast uh, that will be up on YouTube, and so I'm going to start doing that when I do my, my podcast. Hey, um, one thing I want to do, uh, I want to share with you, uh, I'm kind of excited about this. One of the things I'm going to do three or four times a year is to um, do a giveaway. And so today uh, starts, it'll run for two weeks. Uh, I'm giving away a copy of James Clear's newest book called Atomic Habits. It's a really good book. I listened to it on Audible uh, at the end of last year. Really love it. Really enjoyed my time with it. And um, so, uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, to learn more about that giveaway, go to wdavidphillips.com slash giveaway. wdavidphillips.com slash giveaway. You can, you'll also be able to find it on my Twitter feed at wdphillips and on my um, Facebook account, which is... W. David Phillips author, facebook.com slash W. David Phillips author. It starts at noon on February 1st and goes through February 15th at 11.45. The winner will be announced on the 16th around noon. There's all kinds of ways to enter, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, tweet a link you get extra uh entries if you like my facebook page if you like a youtube channel like a podcast page subscribe to the podcast all that fun stuff so uh look forward to uh to being to being able to do some things for you in that sense as well hey today uh i've i've uh I have this wonderful subscription to the Harvard Business Review. If you're on the uh, video, you'll see it. Um, and uh, I'd like to thank my company for providing that for me. Um, so today I want to talk about, there's a really interesting article in here on the high price of efficiency. It's written by Roger L. Martin, who is the director of the Prosperity Institute. And uh, I think he does have a political bias. Uh, I will not tell you what that is, but based on something in this article, it makes me think that. So, um, so, uh, um, so Martin uh, really looks at uh, something that has been going on in management, management science, especially in all of the um, all the major uh, management and business uh, degrees. Uh, he he thinks and believes that um, efficiency is is having a huge impact on our um, 
in, in our in our management processes in our management uh, in management world and how we run our businesses and how that impacts culture how that impacts uh, incomes how that income impacts uh, wages how that impacts possibly the top one percent and um, so he includes uh, you know things like uh, total quality management uh, some of the research by Deming um, Edward Deming, uh, and he says that uh, even Adam Smith, going back to Wealth of Nations, he says that they have turned management into a science whose objective function was the elimination of waste, whether of time, materials, or capital. The belief in the unalloyed virtue of efficiency has never dimmed. It's embodied in the multilateral organizations, such as the World Trade Organization, aimed at making trade more efficient. And so his, his argument is that an excessive focus on efficiency can produce startling negative effects to the extent that super-efficient businesses create the potential for social disorder. And it happens because the, re- the rewards that arise from efficiency get more and more unequal as that efficiency improves, creating a high degree of specialization and conferring an ever-growing market power on the most efficient competitors. The resulting business environment is risky, with high returns going to an increasingly limited number of companies and people, an outcome that is clearly unsustainable. And in some cases, I, after reading his research, um, I think he's right. So let's kind of talk about the research that he has, um, that he has done and... Um, we will we'll, we'll kind of touch on a little bit. So he talks a, a lot of there, there's there's some statistical analysis uh, that's done. Uh, randomness is part of that. That um, uh, you know outcomes are are random. Economic outcomes are are have generally been thought of as being random. And what that does is it produces a distribution of the mean. And um, when you when you graph it, it looks like a bell curve. For those of you on the video, you can see my bell curve. Um, and and so it, it's a Gaussian distribution is what it is. And it creates kind of this bell curve where everything is concentrated in the middle. You have this distribution of means. The means is the middle. And so you have this, this great clump of things in the middle. And you kind of have outliers uh, on the high and low side. Um, and so that creates a, a level of stability, he would argue. But um, he he would say that, or not he would argue that, he, he creates a, um, he would argue actually that, that, that outcomes are not random. That efficiency, the gains in efficiency create an, an advantage for some people. And um, the outcomes follow an entirely different set uh, of distribution properties that he um, he uh, attributes to um, Pareto. Uh, you may know the the Pareto principle, or, or have heard of that, or the eighty twenty principle. I have a couple of books in my library on the eighty twenty principle, and it's it's uh, a, a, an Italian economist named Vilfredo. 
Preto. Uh, that was my best Italian. He he, he observed that twenty percent of Italians on eighty percent of the country's land, and um, you know we would say twenty percent of the people do eighty percent of the work, and you see that all over the place. And in in reality, um, I think that's very it's very applicable and very real. Um, so in the Pareto uh, distribution, the vast majority of, of incidences are clustered at the low end. So you have so much more at the low end. Um, and the, and the, the high end is made up of a very few. Uh, there's no mean, there's no median. Those are statistical terms. Uh, if you, you could, uh, you can look those up. I'll put a link to Wikipedia in the show notes. There's no uh, meaningful mean or, or or median, and the distribution is not stable. In, in other words, there is such a, um, a a disconnect because every the greatest number are uh, at the lower end of the scale. So if you, you think of wealth, the greatest number is going to be at the lower end of the scale. The, the smallest number is going to be at the upper end of the scale. If you're thinking... Um, um, college football, you have those with the greatest money uh, tend, uh, tend to, especially those blue bloods, tend to, to have um, more wins. Those um, who don't uh, tend to have less wins, for instance. And, and um, he says that the, the Pareto outcomes... Uh, not the the Gaussian, not the bell curve, are not independent of another. So something like height, he says, consider height, a trait that tracks a a, a distribution of the means or a Gaussian distribution. One person's shortness does not contribute to to another person's tallness. So height is normally distributed. Now, Now think what happens when someone is deciding who to follow on Instagram. He says, typically, he or she looks at how many followers various users have. And one example he he gives is Kim Kardashian, who has, at the time of the writing, 115 million followers. And they and immediately they are immediately attractive candidates because they already have a lot of followers. So if you don't have, in, in, in his world, if you don't have a lot of followers, you're not going to get more followers. But if you have a lot of followers, you're going to get more followers. Very few people have the lion's share of followers, and a large proportion of people only have a few. And the, the median number of followers, the av- not, not the average, but the median number of followers for all Instagram users is 150 to 200, which obviously is a tiny fraction of what Miss Kardashian has. And he says, so the same thing applies to wealth. The amount of money in the world at any one time is finite. Every dollar you have is a dollar that is not available to anyone else. And your earning a dollar is not independent of another person's earning a dollar. Moreover, the more dollars you have, the easier it is to earn more. As the old saying goes, you need money to make money. As we're often told, the richest 1% own almost 40% of the country's wealth. And... The top one percent own more than three hundred billion, uh, three billion people combined. Uh, while the bottom ninety percent of people in the U.S. own just twenty-three percent of the country's wealth, the richest American is a hundred billion times richer than the poorest American. 
by contrast, the tallest American adult is less than three times as tall as the shortest, demonstrating again how much wider the spread of outcomes is in a Pareto distribution. And so he gives this uh, really interesting, uh, one of the arguments that he uses, one of the, the folks that he uses uh, to demonstrate this is Wayne Huizenga, who founded Waste Management. Waste Management is a company that picks up your trash. And um, so he says, consider the U.S. waste management industry prior to Wayne Huizenga. At one time, there were thousands of little waste management companies across the country. Each had one to, just had one to a few trucks serving customers on a particular route. The profitability of those thousands of companies was fairly normally dis distributed. Most clustered around the mean with some highly efficient and bigger companies earning higher profits and some weaker ones earning lower profits. This is kind of what you would expect in that scenario. And then Wayne Huizenga comes along. He was the founder of Waste Management. He looks at the, the cost structure of the business, saw that two big factors were truck, truck acquisition. Of course, the, the trucks are expensive, and um, they needed to be replaced regularly, and maintenance and repair. And so each small player bought trucks one or maybe a handful of at a time and ran a repair depot to service a small fleet. And so Heisinger realized if he, if he acquired a number of routes in a given region, two things could be possible. First, he could have a greater purchasing power within the trucking industry, the truck manufacturers, and could acquire the trucks uh, more cheaply. But second, he could choose individual maintenance facilities. He could close them, scars, excuse me, not choose them, close them and build a single, far more efficient one. So the more efficient he got he was able to generate more revenue, more profit, and he kept buying smaller garbage companies and expanding into, two, into new territories, which made waste management bigger and even more efficient. So the more efficient he got, the more efficient he got, the more profitable he got, the, the more routes he could purchase, the more efficient he got, the more routes he could purchase, more profitable he became, so on and so on, and um, and he could put put smaller comp competitors out of business. We see that. We saw that in the cable industry, right? So you have you only have a handful of cable companies now, two primary, uh, Charter, Spectrum, and Comcast Xfinity. Used to have a bunch of smaller um, telephone companies. Now you have just a handful used to have a bunch of cell companies, now just a handful. used to have a bunch of computer manufacturers, now just maybe a little bit more than a handful. Um, and so you begin to see this. And you begin to see that that consolidation, the efficiency that that consol, the efficiency and the consolidation that happens out of that efficiency. The more efficient you are, the more profitable you can be. The more 
Um, you can purchase smaller competitors, which makes you more efficient, which makes you more profitable, which gives you leverage to buy or to push people out of the business. And his, his argument is that you, in doing that, you actually create a monoculture, not a multiculture, a monoculture. And to some extent, he's right. There are really only two cell phone manufacturers or cell phone operating systems, right? There's iOS from Apple. There is the Google Android. Nobody else cares about anything else. And within Apple, you have one, uh, one environment. And so you have the Apple environment with Apple phones. You do have, uh, with the Android system, which is open source, you do have multiple phone manufacturers. But you're really limited to things like Samsung, LG, uh, Weiwei, which is a China company. Um, Google's trying to get into it with their Pixels. Um, so you, you really, you really have a limited number of op, uh, of, of options. You, and these are huge companies with huge R and D uh, resources and huge bases, and and so you you really do have this Pareto principle in place. Now the power, the problem with with some of that, and to some extent, and. Um, is that if you create a mon monoculture, you're going to um, have to die by the monoculture. For instance, uh, the almond industry, 80% of the world's almonds are grown in California. So a bad crop, a natural disaster, uh, a virus can take down 80% of the almond industry in the world and that creates problems especially for people who like almonds or drink almond milk and they're actually having to ship bees into um, this part of California to do the to do the uh, pollination process and some people are thinking that's that's causing issues within the the bee community. You know, there's a, there's an, a, a, an issue with uh, honeybees around the world to the, to the extent that I saw a, a Shark Tank episode where someone was trying to get, in, uh, get the sharks to buy into their honeybee industry where um, this company would provide you a hive and the bees and all of that kind of stuff in, in uh, your region to be able to um, kind of stave off this epidemic of the loss of honeybees. Now his his option is to is to to move toward resilience, and so resilience is the ability to recover from difficulties to spring back into shape after a shock. Um, it's being able to adapt. He says, think of. of of the difference between being adapted to an existing environment, which is what efficiency delivers, and being adaptable to changes in the environment. Resilient systems are typically characterized by, by the very features, diversity and redundancy, that efficiency seeks to, to destroy. 
And, you know, I, being in technology uh, for all, all the years that I have, one of the things that we always talked about was redundancy. You do not want to have one single point of failure because that one single point of failure will take you down as a company if, if you're primarily a technology company. So you wanted to have multiple internet connections so that if one went down, you weren't down. You wanted to have multiple routers so if one went down, it didn't kill everything. You wanted to have uh, your SQL server, your database servers in a redundant setting. So if one went down, you didn't lose everything. Web servers the same way. So you, you have that built-in redundancy. And, um, and he's right. The question becomes, how do you do that? And, and this is where I think he, he shows his political flavor. Uh, he talks about limiting scale. Um, basically creating situations and scenarios where a, a, a business or an industry doesn't get too big to fail. Um, he says, it isn't good for the world to have Facebook use its deep pockets from its core business to fund its Instagram subsidiary to destroy Snapchat. It's not good to have Amazon kill all other retailers. It isn't good to have Intel try to squash AMD decades ago by giving computer manufacturers discounts for not using AMD chips. And those things are, are, are in some ways right. I mean, but what you're doing, it, it, when you do that, you heap onto industries and you heap onto business loads of regulation and regulation will kill business just the administrative aspects of managing the regulation sucks the profits out of of companies all companies the bigger ones are able to survive because they have the resources to make that happen the problem is is, is you the cat's already out of the bag you can't you can't put it back in and so you've got to you got to make that hat. You got to figure out how to do that, and I, I just don't know that that you can do that so much these days. He talks about introducing friction in our quest to make our systems more efficient. We have driven out all friction, which is what efficiency would do. Um, it's as if we've tried to create a perfectly clean room, eradicating all the microbes therein. Things go well until a new microbe enters wreaking havoc on the now defenseless inhabitants to avoid a trap business and government need to engage in regular immunotherapy rather than designed to keep all friction out of the system. We should inject a pause, a productive friction at the right times and in the right places to build up the system's resilience. Policymakers should deploy some trade barriers to ensure a few massive firms don't dominate national markets. Even if such domination appears to produce maximum efficiency, Small baguette bakers, French baguette bakers, are protected from serious competition by a staggering array of regulations. The result, although not cheap, French baguettes are regularly are arguably the best in the world. Now that's great. The problem is 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 wages, and and he actually ad- addresses wages. Um, and he, he talks about creating good jobs, and I agree that you need to create good jobs, but the, other, but the thing you also need to realize is the poor will always be with us. There will always be those who cannot have and cannot, cannot buy. And if you're, raising, if you're raising prices 
altogether, which is what friction would do, which is what some of this, um, this other stuff would do, what you're going to do is you're, you're actually going to see prices increase. And when you do that, then it's going to hurt those that I think you want to help the most, which is the poor. Now, I don't, I don't, I think efficiency is huge. And I also think resiliency is, is huge. And I think there can be resiliency and efficiency. I think really what, um, uh, we, we need to get at is, is creating good jobs. So there, so I, so I agree with his, his conclusion that there are, there are, the Pareto distribution is alive and well in many industries. And we see it with wealth, the, you know, the concentration of wealth, the concentration of purchasing power. Uh, you have things like, you know, Amazon buying Whole Foods. Amazon really controls so much of the retail market. Walmart is, is huge. You know, but one of the things Walmart tries to do is it tries to, to work with your, your company, the, the, their, their vendors, to provide, um, to, to create efficiency in the market. And, um, and that's huge because they can sell, they can sell things to the, they have a target market and, and that's a low price folks, low price folks. And, and those, those are people that if you, if you raise prices, you're going to hurt. In fact, I think he jumps the shark in the, in the piece by noting a recent recent congressional study evaluated the impact of a single 200-person Walmart store on the federal budget. It turns out that each employee costs taxpayers $2,700 and $2,800 annually for benefits necessitated by the low wages such as food and energy subsidies, housing and health care assistance, and federal tax credits. With 11,000 stores and 2.3 million employees, the company's much-touted labor efficiency carries a hefty price tag. Indeed, that's really, uh, that is a study that was produced uh, in one state in 2013 by the Democratic uh, Representatives, Democratic Caucus, and uh, that, that study has been repudiated on many occasions because they, they took uh, Medicare uh, Walmart employees on Medicare, Wisconsin, which had some relatively easy points of entry. They pushed that throughout the entire uh, state and then obviously into the federal budget. It, it, uh, it was a flawed study. And he jumps the shark on that. I, I think we do need to create jobs. I think education is huge in that. I think we need to 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 tell people that college is not the end all and be all. Um, if you are a mechanic, you can make a lot of money. If you um, if you do construction, you can make a lot of money. If you put on roofs, you can make a lot of money. Those kinds of things. Dirty Jobs, Micro, you think of that show. Um, it, we, ought to, we ought to look at that show because there there's opportunities for very good jobs that don't require college education. If I get my air conditioner worked on, if I have to put Freon in it, it is uh, the service call plus about $500. You think about that. That's a lot of money for an hour's worth of work. 
Now, I know Freon is expensive, but still, there's there can make a lot of money. And you don't have to go to college, and you don't have to, to do that debt thing. So I, I, I think we have to, in, in some ways, de-emphasize college, but emphasize education after high school. Edu- emphasize technical education. Emphasize, I mean, if you want to go to college and get a business degree, um, but also have a trade degree, man, think of the things you could do if you could run an AC business, right? So I think efficiency and resiliency are, are, are important together. And I, and I think, uh, but, but I do think we have a huge distribution problem in, in terms of wealth. That so, a small group of people control most of the money. And a small group, of, and when you have the money, you, and ultimately you, you have the power. You have so much power. So I do think we need to, to think about how to, to make that happen, apart from a hefty amount of government regulation. Because that's going to kill smaller businesses. Because they don't have the resources to handle all the paperwork. It becomes a nightmare. Medical industries dealing with that. They've had to consolidate simply because of the paperwork that's going on. And now you see big practices being built, consolidation within that within that because of the regulation that's on it after the Affordable Care Act. So I don't have the answer. I think it's worth a discussion. And it would be something that I would love to hear your comments on. And so with that, I bid you adieu. Hope you have a great and wonderful week. And uh, don't forget about the giveaway. Go to wdavidphillips.com slash giveaway. You'll be able to click on the link and enter. You'll be able to come back uh, and get more entries uh, over this two-week period. Again, that starts at February 1st at noon. goes through February 15th at 11.45 p.m. all times Eastern. And uh, the the winner uh, will be chosen at noon on Saturday the 16th. All right. I hope you're doing well. Hope you have a great week. Uh, Blessings and uh, take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Anova Radio. I really do appreciate it. Um, if you want to uh, take some time, I'd really appreciate it if you could go over to iTunes and maybe give a, uh, a review if you like it. If you don't, don't do that. Uh, also, uh, you can sign up for our newsletter at wdavidphillips.com and you can find me on Facebook as well. Look forward to interacting with you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening in today. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode of Powerful Insight. For more up-to-date information and tips to help you on your quest for change, head over to the website at www.wdavidphillips.com and sign up for our newsletter.